Hi, and welcome to the Audacious Health Podcast, where we dive into the wholehearted and imperfect cultivation of our own well-being and the health of our communities. No quick fixes, no shortcuts, just honest conversations to challenge and inspire you to maximize your potential right where you are. friends, it's your host Chauncey Carroll and I want to talk today about weight loss. Yes, weight loss. It is coming up on the end of the holidays into the new year. Everyone probably has some sort of weight loss or diet change that they like to think about in the new year. But how do you make that sustainable? There are so many uh different diets and trendy things out there that may work in the short term, but I really want to talk about bulletproof weight loss today and how to make the weight loss that you do achieve uh, sustainable for the long term. A few disclaimers. Of course, I'm not a registered dietitian or a doctor. You should go see those people if you need some more specific advice and especially if you have any chronic illness or disease and want to be able to eat a little bit more specific for that then definitely go see them Um, however I do have many years of coaching clients I have developed a lifestyle medicine program um, in a healthcare system taught you know hundreds of patients about uh, different sustainable ways of eating. So I'm really passionate about education. Um, I have a background in health and wellness and a master's in public health. So I hope that you can take today as some education, some inspiration, maybe some practical tools. I want to also share some of the things that have helped me personally, as this is something I'm very passionate about and have applied to my own health and wellness. So Let's define the sustainable weight loss to start with. That's going to be about one to two pounds a week. And you can think of approximately 3,500 calories is about a pound of fat. So if you were to cut out 500 calories per day from your diet or increase your exercise by 500 calories per day, you would have about one pound of weight loss per week. So again, in the one to two pound range is sustainable. And why is this even important? That might sound really slow. Everyone wants to like lose five pounds in a week. Uh, But it's super important to have it be sustainable, have it to be slow. Because we need to talk about diet culture a little bit and rebound or yo-yo dieting. So yo-yo dieting is the concept of going super strict with your diet for you know, short term, and maybe even it could be like a month or a six week type of plan. But uh, then you kind of go right back to what you're eating. So the research has shown that about 65% of dieters return to their pre dieting weight within three years, I'm actually surprised it's not faster, but 40% of those actually gain more than they lost. So think about The Biggest Loser TV show that was a hit uh, back in the day. I don't know if it's still going on, but almost all of those people that have lost you know, hundreds of pounds on the show, if you were to go talk to them right now, a lot of them have actually gained back all of that weight, if not more. And the more rapidly that you lose weight – or the some more severe the calorie restriction, like on a detox or a cleanse that a lot of people like to go on in the new year, 
only 5% of people are able to keep that weight off. So not only is it kind of sabotaging your weight loss to do that, but short-term restrictive diets come with their own health concerns. So there's an increased risk of gallstones. You lose a lot of lean body mass, which is your muscle. It's called muscle wasting that happens on these diets. There can be electrolyte imbalances, dehydration. You can get an abnormal heart rate. Of course, we've all experienced that weakness or hunger that happens or constipation. So a lot of really not fun side effects. The reason that these diets don't work in the long term is that it really is working against our metabolism and our survival instincts. So you have something called your resting metabolic rate or your RMR. It's the largest portion of your daily calorie requirement. And basically it is the minimum amount of calories that your body needs to just keep you alive. So think hair growth, your skin, your nails, your heart beating, even things like digestion. So you have this minimum amount, and again, it's going to be different, males versus females. Females usually have a little bit of a lower resting metabolic rate, mainly due to size and lean body mass, again, your muscle. Uh, and if you have more muscle, you're going to have a higher resting metabolic rate because that is a an active tissue versus fat is a little more passive tissue. So let's just say that for, rest, for RMR for women – we'll just say baseline is about 1200 calories, 1800 calories for men. Again, it's going to be plus or minus depending on your body composition, but that resting metabolic rate drops about two to 3% every decade after the age of 20. I know very exciting, mainly due to the loss of lean body mass, mainly due to muscle. Uh, So when you are going into this starvation mode, which would be an extreme calorie diet that is lower than your resting metabolic rate, you're sending a signal to your body to conserve fat and calories, and you actually run the risk of lowering your resting metabolic rate more permanently. Basically, what you're saying is to your body, like, hey, it's the winter and there's no food. I'm going to go and make sure that my fat reserves get me through while I hide out in this cave. So it's this evolutionary survival mechanism that is really good for us. It's doing, it's making sure that we live another winter. So you really want to, when you think about weight loss and wanting to think about permanent weight loss, you have to work within your metabolism and you have to think about what's going to be sustainable and realistic for you so that you're not sabotaging your metabolism, sabotaging your muscle mass, especially since we want to increase or maintain that throughout our life. So a couple questions you can ask yourself is, hey, can I imagine myself eating this way for the next six months or the next year or five years? You know, of course, there's going to be times where maybe you have more uh, emotional, physical space to focus on a, you know, a really clean diet for a little bit. So I'm not saying that you're going to eat perfectly for the rest of your life, but it has to be sustainable. And so rather than doing these huge restrictive diets and then going off and binging, try to find that happy medium. And so start to think about as you're listening to the rest of this podcast, what would be a way for you to eat in the next year? We'll just take it a year at a time. That sounds great. That's sustainable. 
that allows for fun and enjoyment, um, but can still meet your goals. So a little bit about my story. Uh, I have grown up in competitive climbing. I started climbing when I was four. I started competing when I was seven. I made my first nationals at nine years old. I didn't really understand the nutrition component for training. So I would eat the same all year round. And of course that meant on my off seasons, I would gain 15 to 20 pounds because I was eating terribly. I ate Snickers and Hershey's bars before workouts. I remember I would binge on burgers and fries after a hard training session. I ate ice cream. So again, when I wasn't training, I couldn't get away with that anymore. And I would gain a lot of weight in the off season. So it wasn't until I went to college and I started getting into all these nutrition and health and exercise science classes that I said, Hey, I can actually apply this to my own body, my own training, and let's see what happens. Um, but I did it very gradually. I ended up losing 33 pounds, but over the course of two years, so 15 pounds per year, I've been able to keep it off for that whole time. Again, it was a lifestyle change. I started exercising and moving more. It wasn't even a crazy dramatic difference in my exercise. I used to only, you know, only climb. And then I started just adding in like walking and different, um, you know, cardio and strength training and just a more well-rounded fitness routine. And then started cleaning up my diet a lot, but again, in a very sustainable way. So I wasn't even counting calories. I was not ever skipping meals. I was just trying to eat according to my hunger cues. We'll get into that a little bit more. Um, but I kind of want to talk about some recent things that I've had to kind of revisit a lot of these principles recently is that uh, I gained 30 pounds while I was pregnant. So that's a pretty average weight gain. Um, And I would say before that was the pandemic, of course. So a lot of us were stuck at home um, with only, you know, the fridge just in our view the whole time. So I did gain like a 14 pounds over the pandemic. This is even before my 30 pounds of baby weight. Uh, but here I am six and a half months uh, postpartum. And I'm really happy to say that I have lost all of that weight. So I've lost the 30 pounds of baby weight plus my 14 pounds of uh, what I would call hashtag COVID bod weight. And I am back to what I would say my pre pandemic weight. Uh, so again, six months with 44 pounds, that sounds like a lot, but you lose a lot of that at the very beginning with postpartum type of stuff. So I would say that those last 15 pounds, I would say maybe I've averaged about three pounds a month postpartum, um, and kind of really focusing on the weight loss portion. And I can be confident that that's going to stay off because uh, I have done it in a really sustainable way. So going back to kind of how do you bulletproof your weight loss? And the three things that I want to talk about in terms of the how are going to be nutrition, exercise, and mindset. So number one, nutrition. You guys can actually check out a lot of really great content on a previous episode that I did with Maria about plant-powered athletes. So go check out that out. Uh, really, the bottom line is that a majority of your calories should come from real food. Voila, that's the secret. Um, but really adding on to that discussion, you can lose weight on any diet, right? You could eat Skittles and cocaine and you would lose weight, right? But we know that that's obviously not sustainable nor healthy for you. So, you know, really, if you're eating less than you burn, you'll lose weight. However, 
that does not necessarily mean it's sustainable nor healthy. So really thinking that, you know, your calories are not created equal. It's not just about eating less. Uh, It's really important to tell your body the right things, give it the right signal, make sure your metabolism is healthy. So there's some really cool research coming out on gut microbiome and what's called epigenetics. So your microbiome, it almost acts as its own organ system. Uh, It is about three to five pounds of bacteria in your GI system. This bacteria itself has 8 million genes, which that actually outnumbers the genes in our own genome by 150 to 1. So it's thought that 90% of disease can be linked in some way back to the gut and health of our microbiome, which I just think is so cool. Again, there's a lot of emerging research on this. And this kind of goes hand in hand with what I mentioned is epigenetics. So this is a fancy term for how malleable our genes are to our environment, right? So we can't necessarily pick our parents. (laughs) Well, you can't pick your parents, not necessarily, but genes are really only about 5% inherited destiny, 95% of our genes are able to be turned on or off by our lifestyle. So you can kind of think of your genome as a piano. Maybe, you know, cancer genes are there and inherited from your parents or grandparents, but it's the artist that decides what songs to play. I've heard people talk about epigenetics as, you know, kind of a loaded gun, right? What are you going to load that gun with? And where are you going to point it, right? So when you eat something, the genes from your food, tell your cells what instructions to carry out. So take, for example, 100 calories of grapes versus 100 calories of Skittles. When you eat a real food like grapes, there's this orchestrative effect in your body to foster this diverse and healthy bacteria in your gut. It's going to increase energy. It's going to repair your damaged cells, increase your immunity. It's going to prepare your body for exercise and so much more. The climate of that kind of microbiome is unlikely to absorb a lot of those calories as extra if you have any extra at the end of the day. It's harder to store those as fat because there's a million things that it knows what to do with those nutrients that the grapes provided. On the other hand, if we're eating processed, aka scientifically engineered food like Skittles or an Oreo, it has far less genetic diversity because our food has genes. So everything is telling it what to do. So in turn, this creates this less diverse microbiome. It decreases the amount and types of bacteria. This is intimately tied to chronic health conditions and weight gain because our body just becomes extremely efficient at extracting those calories from food. With all those leftover calories lacking nutrients, it doesn't really have a use for them. So it more easily stores these as fat, and it can unfortunately damage our cells in the process. So again, really briefly on nutrition, but again, I would highly recommend going back and listening to the episode with Maria on the plant-powered athlete. So number two, of course, would be exercise. Everyone knows that you you know exercise is good for you to lose weight, but I want to time out for a second and bust a couple of myths. So I've heard a lot of people ask, you know, oh, what's the best exercise for weight loss? Well, the answer is the one that you're going to do most consistently or that maybe that one be like the one you're going to enjoy the most. It has to be probably convenient. So maybe that's at your house or maybe that's at a gym across the street or close to you or maybe one with a lot of friends. 
uh, if you're like to work out with people. I like to ask people kind of what their fitness personality is. So, you know, do you like to work out by yourself? Then maybe go for a walk and listen to a podcast as you go. Or if you love to work out with people and you're really social and extroverted like I am, then join a CrossFit gym or a climbing gym where you can be social with other people. And again, it has to be convenient. Even if you have this amazing rockstar gym, but it's 30, 40 minutes away, how often are you actually going to make it there? Um, however, I know like for me, I don't necessarily like working out by myself at the house. So I do have a Peloton and I use it for when I really can't make it to the gym. But I know that I enjoy the most going to a gym and, do, and taking a class. So really the best exercise for your weight loss is the one that you'll do most consistently. Also, the best time to work out. A lot of people are like, oh, aren't you supposed to work out in the morning? Better for weight loss and that might help you burn more calories. Well, maybe, but really the best time to work out is when you will work out, period. Uh, and maybe that's when you have the most energy. If you can make it there in the mornings or right after work or something or your lunch break. But again, it's going to be what can you find in your schedule that you will work out period. And that's the best time to work out. If you want to think about maximizing your metabolism and your calorie burn, then you can think about incorporating a couple things after we figured out our best exercise and our best time. So of course, strength training is going to be really important for your resting metabolic rate because it's going to increase or at least maintain your muscle mass. If you've never strength training strength trained before I would definitely start slow so one to two times a week with some rest days in between and especially if you're a beginner and you haven't done a lot of weight training you can think about hiring a personal trainer going to a fitness class you know with an experienced coach uh, it's definitely something you want to approach safely and slowly and then you can also exercise in a way that invokes something called epoch EPOC or excess post-oxygen consumption. So that's going to be something like high-intensity cardio. doesn't necessarily have to be high-impact, uh, just getting your heart rate really high. It can be great if you're short on time because it's a very efficient calorie burn in a shorter amount of time. And basically why this works is that when you increase your heart rate really high, you are creating what's called kind of an oxygen debt, you can think of like you're starting to breathe really hard and it's not like as soon as you stop jump roping or swimming, you are immediately back to your resting heart rate. No, usually we're breathing pretty hard for a while after we have done uh, working out. And so that is really cool because basically we're paying this oxygen debt back. We're increasing our consumption of oxygen long past when we've done working out and that's going to help you burn more calories in the long run. So again, if you are wanting to really increase your calorie burn throughout the day, uh, strength training is going to be great because you're having to repair a lot of that muscle mass after the fact, as well as that EPOC or excess post-oxygen consumption with a high intensity cardio. Again, that doesn't have to be high impact, doesn't have to be hard on your knees, just something that can get your heart rate up pretty high. And that could even be something like a spin bike, spinning class or interval type of workout. And again, those are effective that you don't have to work out for an hour to increase your epoch. You might be able to do that with, you know, 20 minutes or even 15 if you make it really efficient. Um, 
But I would say number three in terms of thinking about bulletproof weight loss would be your mindset. This is the biggest one. You might have the best diet in uh, lifestyle and you might have the best exercise plan. But if your mindset is off, you are going to regain weight or you're not going to be able to lose weight. So this is the biggest pitfall that I see my clients make is falling into all or nothing thinking. So that's really thinking like, oh, okay, well, I don't have an hour to work out. I guess I'm just going to not work out today at all. Or, oh, well, I was going to make this class, but now I can't. So I guess I'll just eat this huge pasta dinner instead. So it's really falling into like, I even have to either have a perfect day or it's just not even worth it. And that's really false because the small things that you do over your 24 hours a day are going to make a huge impact at the end of one week or one month and especially one year. So you can think even an extra 100 calories burned or not eaten in a day can add up to more than 10 pounds of weight loss over one year. And that's 100 calories. That's like barely noticeable. And so, you know, let's say you completely overindulge at a party. You know, we've had a lot of holiday stuff over the last month. This is you know, not out of the realm of uh, a normal type of thing is, you know, dang, I just ate a huge amount of food that I didn't really want to eat. Well, I might as well give up on my goal of weight loss or I might as well just eat crappy for the rest of the day. So rather than throwing in the towel for the rest of the day and digging yourself in an even deeper hole, what if you said to yourself, you know, how can I make my next choice just 10% better? Again, 100 calories a day can be 10 pounds a, a year. That could be 10 pounds that's slowly gaining on you or that you slowly lose. You know, you can decide that. I think another really great way to approach this is looking at those moments where we kind of quote unquote messed up as learning opportunities. So this is a really important way to kind of change your mindset. And what I like to call them is, you know, if then scenario or a pre-decision decision. So let's say you went to a dinner party and, you know, it was crazy. You were out of control, whatever it is. When you get home and you kind of realize that say, okay, you know, try to reflect on what happened. You know, did you go in super hungry or did you, you know, just not decide what you were going to eat? You were just mindlessly eating, you know, then if you can make that pre-decision decision next time and say, Hey, I'm just going to take one plate of food. Next time I go to a dinner party, you've kind of made that decision or, you know, pre-decision decision could be you look up the menu at a restaurant that you know you're going to go to and you decide beforehand before you get there and before everyone's ordering everything and you are really hungry and your willpower is going to be much less than you've already made that decision about what you are going to order and eat. So it can be really helpful to decide ahead of time or run through your mind uh, those if-then scenarios. A- another one that really people can be challenged with is the free food type of mentality. So, oh, it's free. It's a buffet at work or someone offered this plate of cookies to me. You know, I wasn't going to eat this, but I don't want to be rude. That's going to be another if-then scenario that's pretty common to run through. So just because it's free, 
you know, it doesn't cost you anything doesn't necessarily mean it's free in your body, obviously. So you want to think about, you know, maybe you do have those plate of cookies. That's fine. But just count the cost and try to figure out a way that you can maybe exercise or eat better the rest of the day um, and just be more conscious of your sugar intake for the rest of the day. So another way to kind of shift your mindset and especially when it comes to those like free food or food pushers we all know those people that are like please I just made this for you you should eat it Um, and you weren't planning to eat it at all is you know thinking treating your body as a temple and you know maybe it'll hurt their feelings for like a second but but you're the one that has to deal with the consequences long term so kind of even coming up with those you know responses in the moment and of those if then scenarios and saying hey if, if someone offers me food that and I don't want to eat it then I'm just going to say no thanks and you would be surprised I've started doing this cuz it was really hard at first but when you start just saying no thanks I'm good people usually are like oh okay got it or you can i mean if you trust them or you even just want to say just say no i have some other nutrition goals i heard one person just say i don't recommend this but he had used the idea of like well i'm just going to tell people that i'm pre-diabetic even though he wasn't just to get people to lay off of offering him sweets and he said it worked very well so you can come up with some creative ideas but I think um, that this, you know, body as a temple, really kind of coming back to that, you really only have one place to live. So, you know, if your body's a house and you never vacuum, you never clean, you just keep dumping trash in there, are you really going to want to live there for very long? There's going to be some things that start to catch fire or <laughs> things that start to go wrong. So thinking about honoring your body with nutritious food and this goes both ways with like not starving yourself but not engorging either you want to fuel your body you know nutrition and food is to be enjoyed and you know it's to honor your body and to fuel it and so you know back to that pillar of our audacious health philosophy is that we're not just physical beings but we're spiritual and emotional beings too So kind of coming into some practical tools of what this bulletproof weight loss looks like is, you know, number one, listen to your hunger cues. We start off life as intuitive eaters. My six-month-old is very good at telling me when she's full. She just refuses to eat those things when she's full. And she is naturally an intuitive eater. I didn't have to tell her, you know, hey, tell me when you're full and I'll stop eating you. She just knows it. So a lot of times we lose this ability as we grow up because, you know, external factors or environmental factors. I came from a family of fast eaters. So I, we real, I realize now that I eat super fast because, Hey, if it was on your plate still and everyone else was done eating, it was fair game for my siblings to pick off you know, the food left on my plate, hence why I'm a fast eater. I've had to really try to slow down my eating, and that can be a way to just help you tune into your hunger cues and you know things like putting your, your utensils down and really starting to mindfully eat, 
chewing each bite before you take another one. This is so hard for me, guys. I don't know how many times I have to consciously think about this. I know sometimes it's really intuitive for other people, but not me. So thinking about chewing every bite before you take another one. Uh, I think a lot of us grew up in the clean your plate era um, and where it's like, oh, well, I can't waste food. I have to eat everything on my plate. And we have to get out of that. One, it's not healthy for us. Um, But I think you just have to think about, you know, it's either wasted in the trash or it's wasted in my body. And, you know, it's a waste either way if you're, you know, taking too much food onto your plate. So the clean your plate era, like, just has to go. I think another thing that you can do is learn your baseline. And what I mean by that is just maybe tracking, I would say, at least one weekday, one weekend per month, at least, Um, maybe more at the beginning of just your macros and your calories. So what I mean by macros is protein, fat, and uh, carbohydrates. And you can easily do both of those things, macros and calories, with a free app like MyFitnessPal. There are a lot of other ones out there. Um, But, of course, knowing that the numbers are going to be very approximate. There's a huge margin of error, even for the most precise trackers. They've done a lot of research on that. It's like definitely don't count on it for how many calories you're actually eating. Know that you're probably 20 to 30% under reporting, even if you're really trying um, to be precise, but use it more as an awareness tool and to keep yourself accountable. So, you know, maybe at first to just establish your baseline, you track, you know, weekdays and weekends for a week, maybe two. And then as you get more aware of what you're eating, then you can maybe start to play around with that. And maybe you realize, oh, I didn't realize I was pouring myself eight ounces of wine. Uh, that that was a personal experience where I said, oh, goodness, I didn't realize I was pouring myself that much wine. Um, so it can be a really interesting way to just uh, start to filter out what is maybe sabotaging your weight loss and trying to hone in and a lot of people actually realize they're not eating enough and that can be another thing for your metabolism is if you are again in that starvation mode it's gonna be really really hard to lose fat so I would say learn your baseline with you know something like my fitness pal um I would say you know be careful with the tracking because especially for certain people it can be really triggering and I know for me I can't track every day for very long because it kind of gets me into a bad headspace so you know, be conscious of that. And maybe rather than tracking something in a like my fitness pal, maybe if you just write it down in a little food journal and talk about how you feel afterwards, um, that can be useful as well. Uh, and then I would say with accountability, that is huge. I know for me, even being in the fitness and wellness space, I feel like I need accountability. And I got accountability when I was um, starting to try to lose weight this postpartum um, time. So I like to call them an account- accountability buddy. And really, that could be a training partner. Partner, It could be your spouse if they have some similar goals and they're not going to try to sabotage you. Uh, maybe it's a coach. That's who I got. I got an awesome nutrition coach um, and surrounded myself with um, role models 
that are living the kind of lifestyle that I want to be living, you know, eating the kind of way that I want to be eating and really trying to learn from them and, and stay accountable to them. And maybe that could look like, you know, weekly check-ins or texting each other. Um, for me, it was really helpful to track my protein in- intake because that was something I was really struggling with. So that motivated me a lot to know, like, I'm going to have to show my coach that, uh, you know, how many grams of protein I ate th- today. That was really helpful for accountability. Um, and then I would say building in some metric check-ins. And so what I mean by that is, you know, weighing yourself, I would say no more than one to two times a week at the most. Um, there's, I know a lot of clients that, you know, they want to weigh themselves every day or even a couple times a day. That's friends, that's not really helpful. And it's not going to give you that many, you know, that much useful information. So of course you want to weigh yourself at the same time of day. And I would recommend, you know, same day as well. Like it's going to be every Monday or every Friday. Um, for me, uh, weighing in on a Monday morning was really, uh, motivating because I knew like, okay, the weekend's going to show up on that scale. And then Friday morning was also a really good time for me. Cause then I knew like, okay, this is going to keep me accountable during the week. Cause a lot of us eat differently on the week days versus the weekends. So for me, Monday morning, Friday morning, you want to try to measure at the same, you know, same day or same time of day. I would recommend usually in the morning, you know, after you've gone to the bathroom, before you've eaten anything, you know, close on, close off, keep it the same. But again, be careful with it getting too crazy, but that can just be a really good way to keep yourself accountable. And if you want to, you can even upload it to an app, you know, to kind of keep yourself accountable. I would also say it's really important to track body fat percentage because your weight doesn't necessarily say anything actually a lot of weight loss especially at the beginning goes faster because it's just water weight and so it's really actually more important to track your body fat percentage if you're trying to do sustainable weight loss so I would say maybe two to three weeks um, tracking your body fat percentage every three weeks would be you know the most I'd say maybe once a month would be good um and you would do that with something like a bioelectrical impedance. Um, for most people, it's going to be accessible at like a gym. Um, you can also try to you know see if like a sports performance center has something that's a little more precise um, with less margin of error. Again, everything's going to have a margin of error. You're just taking these as you know not complete fact, but you're just wanting to do a check in, keep yourself accountable, see if you're on the right track. So take them with a grain of salt. Um, in terms of timing your meals, of course, intermittent fasting is like a huge trendy thing right now. I'd say it can be a tool. There's definitely some interesting research regarding the benefits of a 12 hour fast. So like an overnight fast, let's say like 7 PM to 7 AM kind of gives your body a break from digestion, you know, helps with blood sugar regulation, cellular repair. Um, cause if we're always eating, it's hard for our body to, you know, put that repair towards other things. Cause it's just constantly getting a load that it needs to digest. Um, uh, I would say there can be some concerns with regular fasting that's more restrictive than that. Um, You know, the reason that a lot of these intermittent fasting diets work is that, you know, short term, you're just eating less calories during the day. You know, there's not this like magical hour that helps you lose weight. um, But some of those concerns are that, you know, it's going to be more challenging for 
athletes. If they need to fuel their workouts, it can be too restrictive. Um, if people are only doing, you know, a five hour window of eating, you might not have the calories that you need, um, to have energy for your workouts. Or, you know, if you're a first responder, you want to make sure that you have energy, you know, throughout your shift, because, you know, what if something happens, you need to be able to go right then. So, you know, thinking about, again, what is the way that you can eat this way for life? So, you know, can you maintain a 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. eating window for the rest of your life? Like, maybe that sounds really challenging to me. Um, For me, the 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. just works a little bit better with my schedule. I'd say it doesn't happen a lot, uh, but I really try to keep to that when I can. Um, that's just, I always just feel better in the mornings too, um, rather than feeling full from the night before. And, you know, again, that can just be a tool. I would say it's not going to be like the weight loss bullet. Um, I would say, again, it, it it's going to work weight loss wise if you're eating less calories in that window because you're saying, oh, well, it's 7.30 PM and I'm not going to have this chocolate thing because it's past my eating window. So that's going to help you, you know, eat less throughout the day. But again, really bottom line of this entire thing is that, you know, sustainable weight loss is important for your metabolism, for your lifelong metabolism, and it's possible. And you have to find a way that you could eat that way for the rest of your life. And again, there's going to be seasons where it's you know better than others and that's okay we're not supposed to be you know extremely fit year round Um, and you're going to eat differently depending on your goals so maybe you're training for an endurance bike ride you're going to eat way differently than you would if you're you know trying to lose weight um, or or trying to you know get into a summer beach bod type of thing Um, but I would just encourage you to find uh, a way that feels meaningful to you where really we're trying to become the best version of ourselves. And that doesn't always necessarily mean a lower weight too. So I think it's really important to realize when to call it good um, and when, you know, there can be a fine line between healthy weight loss and going in, you know, a wrong direction. So that's why I would say it's important to keep a community around you and people that you trust to, you know, tell you when enough is enough and to really promote health and not skinniness. I think that's really important is that, you know, skinniness is not the goal. It's the goal is for you to feel vibrant and thriving and healthy, you know, at the weight and body composition that you want to be at so that you can do, you know, whatever you decide you want to do for the rest of your life. So friends, I hope that you found some cool tidbits in that. Um, And I would just thank you so much for listening. If you learned something useful today, I would love it if you would share this podcast episode, leave it a rating or a review. We will catch you in the next episode. Bye friends.